Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, down here in Las Vegas, visiting from Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis, still in Las Vegas. On this week's episode, reporter Carmen Landinger comes on the show to talk about a bill that opens up more zoning for tiny homes in Las Vegas and Reno. After that, reporter Tabitha Mueller and KUNR reporter Bert Johnson have a piece with our partners over at KUNR on the big lie, or the idea that the 2020 presidential election was stolen that's been endorsed by many Republican officials. They sit down and talk with Michelle Billman, the news director over at KUNR. At the end of the show, I chat with reporter Humberto Sanchez about all the news coming out of D.C., from Roe versus Wade to gun bills and more. All right. Well, I am here with Carmen Landinger, one of our reporters, and you have done some reporting on tiny houses. Many of us have seen or heard about tiny houses, but I think it's helpful to understand what the specifics are around tiny houses. There was a law passed in the last legislative session regarding them. Um, So that's kind of what we're talking about mostly today. Um, But we've all been in a small home before, I think, but that's not necessarily a tiny house. So just to start off, I guess let's define what a tiny house is. What is a tiny home? Yeah, so it's actually exactly what you would think it would be. It's a home that has a kitchen, a bath, it has a bedroom, has a little living space. The only thing is that it's around 400 square feet. So very, very small. And also some of the houses, the tiny homes, are also on wheels, so they're transportable. It's pretty neat. And then some of them actually have like a little loft area like a top loft yeah and so why are we talking about them today right i mentioned that there was a bill that was passed in the last legislative session what was that bill and and what's the discussion going on around tiny homes right now in nevada yeah so the bill is sb 150 it was passed in 2021 all those in favor please signify by saying aye aye those against say nay. nay motion carries except it's not becoming effective until January of 2024, which may seem like quite some time, but there's a lot that needs to be done before then. The SB 150 bill, it allows for zoning districts of the tiny homes to be placed in. It requires a county with a population of 100,000 or more, which would be Clark County, Washoe County, and they have to designate zoning districts where they could be located as a secondary unit, a single family home, and as a part of a tiny home park. So basically, a tiny home community. So it would be the same as like a regular neighborhood. Except just tiny. And the SB 115 bill, it allows for these little districts to be built and for these tiny homes to be placed. Because prior to the bill, there were some tiny homes, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But the issue with the tiny homes was there wasn't necessarily a lot of space for them to be placed. So the SB 150 bill allows for them to be placed in a specific district. And now counties like Clark County, Washoe County, they're going to have specific zoning districts for that in the upcoming future. And so right now, what we're talking about now is the Tiny Homes Association, which is going to be building these tiny homes here in Nevada. They're starting to get in the beginning process, the stages of finding what they want to do, where these tiny homes are going to be built. So the Tiny Homes Association has a goal of their initial start will be 50 tiny homes. And they have a proposal of a fund, a revolving fund, 
with an initial like 10 million in government funding, they plan to do the 50 tiny homes, but their overall goal is to build 500 homes within the next 10 years. And so I think part of the discussion around tiny homes is this housing crisis that we've had in Nevada. We've had it. It feels like we've been going on in this housing crisis for a pretty long time now. And and this is one of the efforts to help curb that. How is it going to do that? Yeah, so they plan on doing the tiny homes under $200,000. Some other companies range as low as like $30,000, $50,000. And so basically what the tiny homes does when it comes to the housing market, it provides more houses for people who can't afford the regular 475000 to buy a house. So it's becoming a lot more affordable and it provides shelter for those in need for a more affordable price. And then Senator Dallas Harris, who is a supporter of the bill, she mentioned also that this is going to help like increase density in already established communities. And it's also going to be serving as an alternative living space. Uh, my name is Dallas Harris, representing District 11 uh, in Clark County. Uh, I am here to present Senate Bill 150. Senate Bill 150 has one goal. That is to require localities to find a place to put tiny homes. So in some parts of Nevada, uh, there is no place where you can put a tiny home. It is not quite a uh, single-family residence. It is not quite a, uh, an RV or a mobile home. Uh, I very well acknowledge that us at the state level are not the zoning experts. And so my goal with this bill is to push that decision making down to the local level. Are there any other advantages to tiny homes besides, I mean, obviously the price is a huge one and the size being able to have denser housing. But what are some other advantages to, to building a, a tiny home? Yeah, so one of the big advantages and something that the Tiny Homes Association's main goal to do is to build these communities. And within these communities, which are already being built in Santa Cruz, Texas, Arizona by other companies, and they're trying to build that community factor of having like a gym or a play area for children, having that space for everyone to be involved in. So obviously there's always opponents to bills. What, what are the opponents to this bill saying right now, people that don't necessarily agree with, with this, this new zoning? Yeah, so there's a couple opponents to the bill. One of the main opponents is that it's not necessarily going to solve the housing crisis at the moment. And although the tiny homes may serve as an alternative to the housing crisis, it's not the sole solution. It can be part of the solution, but it's not going to solve it immediately. And if something needs to be done long term, it needs to be done on a more federal level when it comes to like taxes, the amount of money, like wages and all that. But tiny homes is going to be like a little part of the solution, which is what the Southern Nevada Home Builders Association is saying. And when it comes to housing, their main concern with the tiny homes is that they're not permanent and that they're going to come and go like people are going to go and live in there for some time. But overall, just seen as very temporary. And what is needed when it comes to the housing market is permanent homes, homes that you can spend your entire life in. And this is one of their main concerns. That's not necessarily just because you're having more quantity of homes doesn't necessarily mean that the quality is all there. And so that's one of their main concerns. There's also an architect. His name is Stefan Lamont. He says that they are not necessarily going to be effective. And he even quotes it as gadgets for millionaires. 
basically saying the same thing. He even fears that these tiny home villages or communities can be seen as trailer parks and become slums of tomorrow, which he says in his words. And that's also something that other opponents of the bill are fearing as well, that these communities are going to be similar to regular trailer parks. And so despite, you know, some of these concerns that people have, tiny homes have actually become, uh, you know, a really big trend. You know, there's even festivals that are devoted to them. Many people are looking to downsize these days, and what better way to do that is by moving into a tiny home. That's right, this weekend you can get an up-close-and-personal look at what tiny homes have to offer at Tiny Fest California, which is being held... And so that is their main goal of just starting small with like the 50 homes, as I mentioned, and then hopefully in like 10 years going to the 500 homes. And the Tiny Homes Association in Nevada, another one of their main goals, is to create the gold standard for tiny homes. So they want Nevada to be like the top-notch tiny home community, especially since already other states are doing it. They want to make sure that they really implement it so it provides the housing for everyone. And it also helps people who just are looking for something a little bit different. We already have some tiny homes in Nevada, correct? Yes, correct. So Ferguson's downtown, the Reno, and then... I believe in Opportunity Village, they also had little tiny homes. The issue with that is that without the SB 150 bill, it was just harder to find a place to place the homes. And from there, there was a lot of obstacles in order to build those villages. But they have already been existing. The Ferguson's downtown one was in an RV park. So technically wasn't similar to what is being done now. But it was very similar to something that we might see. And that was done in 2014 by the CEO of Zappos. He actually created it as like a social experiment. And if you want to learn more about that, there is a blog. It's called Tiny House Blog. We are a room to spare tiny house. And we're in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it talks about, it's from people who were actually living in that tiny home community. Well, and just to wrap up, uh, are there any other solutions that are being proposed to help with the housing crisis? Like you said, some of the opponents were saying that this was a part of a solution, but wasn't really the whole solution. Obviously, if there is more affordable housing, that's going to help. But but what are some other housing shortage solutions that are being talked about right now? Yeah, so Stefan Lamont, who was the architect who I mentioned earlier, he is actually in charge of the architecture department in Unovine. So he wants to allow for small lot subdivisions, which allow for single family homes to be built on plots of land, typically smaller than the normal size plots of land. And from this, it's basically closer to urban areas rather than put far apart or designated in one single zoning area. And then he also mentions that instead of having just a singular tiny home, it should be at least three stories or four stories because the one single story home, he says, isn't going to necessarily help anything when it comes to urban density. Cool. Well, Carmen, I'm sure we'll be hearing more reporting on this. Housing is always a discussion that's being had here in Nevada, especially as we face the growing population and the, and the housing shortage. So, Carmen, thank you so much for joining me today. You can read more of your reporting on the website at thenevadaindependent.com. So thank you so much. All right, well, you can find Carmen's full story on our website later this week. That's right. Now, from tiny homes to big lies, we have a piece from reporter Tabitha Mueller, who partnered with KUNR reporter Burt Johnson. The two of them looked into extremism in the Republican Party, uh, specifically the big lie. 
Yeah, and that's the idea that the election was stolen and that there was mass voter fraud, which there has been no evidence of. That's right. Tabitha did this piece in partnership with KUNR, who we work with regularly, and this very podcast airs on their airwaves on Sundays at 4.30. Their news director, Michelle Billman, chatted with Tabitha and Bert about their story. Many of the top-level Nevada Republicans running in 2022 have embraced the big lie. U.S. Senate candidate Adam Laxalt has falsely claimed President Joe Biden won thanks to voter fraud, and so has Secretary of State candidate Jim Marchant, who's aligned with far-right activists seeking to end early voting. But down the ballot, lies about the 2020 presidential election have continued to fester. KUNR's Burt Johnson and our own Nevada Independent reporter Tabitha Mueller joined KUNR's news director Michelle Billman to discuss what's happening in the Nevada legislative primaries. Tabitha and Bert, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us today. Sure thing, Michelle. Tabitha, you two have been looking at candidate statements, campaign websites, and you've spoken with various candidates. Can you tell me what you've discovered? When taking a look at the candidates who supported the big lie, Bert and I were pretty conservative in our approach. We found that 16 candidates in state legislative primaries have publicly cast out on the election process or expressed their support for the big lie. That's about a third of the legislative primaries in Nevada. When I say big lie, what I mean by that is the false allegation that former President Donald Trump made that the election was stolen. And experts warn that the rise of these legislative candidates running on this platform could be a sign of growing support for fringe movements and anti-democratic sentiments. Bert, how does all of this tie in with the January 6th insurrection? Well, the big lie really inspired the violence that we saw on January 6th, 2021. The U.S. House Select Committee just had its first public hearing looking into the insurrection. And part of their findings were they said Trump engaged in a conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election results. They included a video interview with one of the convicted Capitol rioters, a man named Robert Shornack. And here's what he said about how Trump inspired him to engage in the insurrection that day. You know, I had supported Trump all that time. Uh, I did believe, you know, that the election was being stolen. Um, And Trump asked us to come. Now, at a rally before the insurrection itself, of course, Donald Trump gave a speech that's been widely reported on. And part of what he said was, you know, You can't win back your country with weakness. He told his followers that they had to show strength. And he also said they had to demand that Congress do what he called the right thing and only count the electors who have been, quote unquote, lawfully slated. And again, this ties back in with the big lie because he was falsely claiming that a lot of the votes that had been legitimately cast for President Biden had actually been the result of voter fraud. Recently, the Department of Homeland Security also published a bulletin warning that threats of extremism are going to grow in the coming months. They said there are going to be several high-profile events that could be exploited to justify acts of violence, and that includes the midterms. 
Tabitha, there are a lot of primary races. Why did you choose to focus on the state legislature specifically? So we typically see less engagement with down-ballot races, especially in an off-year election. But I think it's vital that we pay attention to these races because the candidates who are elected in these, especially in the state legislature, could enact changes to state law that have the potential to shift voting practices or voting regulations. And I also think this is going to serve as a litmus test for the big lies popularity in Nevada. I think it's important that people realize these down-ballot races have a very significant effect on state policy. What are the broader implications of, of your findings? When political candidates run on the big lie like this, it helps normalize that false narrative, keeps it in the public discourse, and can make it seem more legitimate to people. I talked to Fred Locken about this. He's a political science professor at Truckee Meadows Community College. And here's what he had to say about what that could mean for the democratic system. You have a growing number of Americans, not yet 50 percent, that would actually say doing a coup, overthrowing our government, stopping the constitutional process of, of the certification of the election is justifiable. Hence, now your democracy, your respect for the Constitution and the rule of law has vaporized and you no longer have a functioning democracy. To his point, recent polling does show that a growing number of Americans support political violence. For example, a Washington Post poll from earlier this year found one in three Americans believe violence against the government can at times be justified. It still remains to be seen if the people responsible for the insurrection at the highest levels will face stiff enough consequences to prevent something like this from happening again. So far, the insurrection hasn't inspired a backlash the way that previous political attacks have. For example, in 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing united the country against far-right extremism. That was KUNR reporter Bert Johnson, Nevada Independent reporter Tabitha Mueller, and KUNR's news director Michelle Billman. If you want to hear Indie Matters on KUNR's airwaves, you can find it on Sundays at 4.30 p.m., and that is 88.7 FM, Reno, KUNR Public Radio. Moving on to some more big news, Joey and our Capitol reporter, Humberto Sanchez, chat about all the news coming out of Washington, D.C., from Roe versus Wade being struck down to gun laws and a bunch more. I'm here with our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez. We are talking about a, a slew of things that have happened in D.C. Over, over the past couple of weeks. Everything from the Roe versus Wade overturning to, to gun laws that are going through Congress right now to gas holidays and, and many other things that have, we've been watching. We've got a lot to cover, but to start off, as always, Humberto, we always talk about the weather since you are on the other side of the country from us here in Nevada. It is warm. It is summer. It is dry, although we did have a little bit of rain in Reno, but I am in Vegas right now. It is 107 out right now, and it is insane. I always forget how hot it is down here. How is it in D.C.? It is a rainy 74 degrees. It was hot and, and swampy all week, so the rain is a, a, a welcome reprieve. Super hot and humid weather as it is as summers are here. So you get what you pay for. 
Well, to start off, let's let's chat about the, the big news, right? The big headline these, these days has been Roe versus Wade, the overturning of it in the Supreme Court. Um, you know what that means. T- to start, obviously, in Nevada, we have a we have a law in, in state statute that says that it's protected. So there's not necessarily a ton that's going to change here right now for people in the state. But it could mean a lot of changes nationally, and it could mean some changes for the state actually moving forward as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So in Nevada, in the 90s, folks there thought to essentially codify the Roe v. Wade decision. So abortion is available after 24 weeks in pregnancy. And that won't change unless there's a vote of the people to to change that. So the ruling has no effect. And the ruling, it was, it was pretty interesting. Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And so in Mississippi, a abortion clinic sued the state over its 15-week abortion ban. And so the court took that up and they they upheld the Mississippi law. So now there's a 50-week abortion ban in Mississippi. But the court went further than that, the overturned Roe based on this decision. And it's interesting. So they voted six to three to uphold the ban in, in Mississippi. Then they voted five to four to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's kind of interesting in the, uh, the six to three decision. The majority was all the conservative judges. You had Chief Justice Don Roberts, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett upheld that law. And then Alito wrote the opinion overturning Roe, and that was only 5-4. So uh, in terms of its effect in Nevada, it's mostly going to have an effect in the upcoming midterm elections. We have big races in the Senate. Uh, People are going to be going to the ballot, choose a governor, an attorney general, and four seats in the U.S. House. So that's where we'll see most of this come up. The general election in November, the midterm election in November, we just had the primary are we going to see kind of maybe everyone's been talking about a red wave, right? Is this going to get Democrats riled up and, and get into the ballot box? Is there talk about that? Well, I, I see this decision like the starter pistol for the 22 campaign season. We're, we're going to find out shortly. The Democrats are trying to nationalize the issue because in Nevada, right, nothing's going to change. But they, they see the threat of a possible national ban being passed in Congress if more Republicans are elected. And they also are concerned about the erosion of further rights, because what the court did was kind of unprecedented, right? They, they took away a right that had been around for almost 50 years. So people are worried that the same reasoning, the same rationale will be used to take away rights like the right to contraception or the right to gay marriage, which were based on the 14th Amendment and the right to privacy. And also the, the reason why they're also concerned is because Judge Thomas, in a concurring opinion, wrote as much. He thought that those decisions were badly reasoned and he thinks that they should be revisited. So this opinion definitely puts it on the ballot in Nevada. Yeah. Right now, obviously, like I said, it it has to be changed by a vote of the people, but that could potentially change. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to start a very slow, possible generations long fight over the issue in Nevada. Just talking to Melissa Clement, who heads up Right to Life Nevada, she definitely wants to change the law and she wants more Republicans to be elected to Congress. National Right to Life has backed Adam Laxalt and he has indicated that he he's a pro-life candidate. He He's indicated that he could be in favor of restricting abortion rights. And given the opportunity, you know, I'm sure he'll vote that way, right? Same with uh, all the other Republican candidates who are pro-life. You have Sheriff Joe Lombardo in the governor's race and Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak definitely framed it as a stark choice between the two in, in this pro-life, pro-choice rubric. You also saw that in Dina Titus's race, Susie Lee's race, and Stephen Horser's race. All of those folks are facing pro-life candidates, and they all are, are worried about this abortion access, but also the erosion of further rights down the road. So this is definitely going to be on the ballot. Democrats are going to definitely run on it, and Republicans are going to say, in, in Nevada at least, 
that it's settled law and it's not a big issue. And things like inflation and gas prices are going to be more important. And to a certain degree, that's true. But at the same time, these things don't happen overnight. Is it enough to energize folks? We'll have to wait and see. But right now, people are pretty upset about the ruling. It's a big deal. Yeah. And so, um, you know, moving on to, to the other big issue that we've been talking about, there was the Uvalde shooting a couple weeks ago, and that has obviously sparked a nationwide discussion on guns, as most mass shootings do. This this one, I think, was, was particularly severe and I think particularly hit a lot of people. Um, and so there has actually been some legislation for the first time, you know, after a mass shooting that we've seen. And, you know, we, we don't normally see this kind of thing happen in Congress where a bill is put forward and passed pretty quickly. It, Joe Biden signed it into law. And so it, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, it's the first gun law that's passed since the 1994 ban on assault weapons. It's a $13 billion bill. And uh, in particular, Representative Steve Horsford introduced a bill last June on the anniversary of his father, who was killed by gun violence, an event that's colored his outlook on the issue. And the bill that he introduced would provide funding, about $250 million, for community-based violence programs. There's faith-based groups and other groups that work with folks to try to lessen gun violence and try to intervene once it happens to try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, the bill also would broaden background checks for those under 21 to include juvenile records. Currently, those are typically expunged or not included when you do background checks for gun purchases. The bill would provide $750 million to pass and enforce red flag laws. We know Nevada has a red flag law that went into effect in 2020, so this would help them enforce that. Red flag laws are laws that allow for guns to be taken away from individuals who are deemed by a court to be a danger to themselves or others. That's a that's an issue for some folks. Uh, people don't like when guns are taken away. I'll get to that in a second because Representative Mark Amadei didn't support this. The bill also includes $300 million over five years for school security and mental health programs, which was a big deal in the Uvalde shooting. And the measure also includes a ban on convicted domestic abusers, including boyfriends, from buying guns for five years. And it criminalizes stock purchases when someone buys a gun on behalf of someone who's not eligible to buy a gun. So the, all the Democrats in the, in the House and the Senate, all the Nevada Democrats voted for it. The bill in the Senate had a lot of Republican support. Mitch McConnell voted for it, who's the Republican leader. It passed 63 to 55 with 15 Republican votes. But in the House, Republicans took a much harder line. There were only 14 Republicans who backed the bill in the House. It passed 234 to 193. Uh, Representative Mark Amaday was not among those Republicans. I talked to him about his vote. He's a, a very pro-Second Amendment lawmaker. So he voted against the bill over concerns about political appointees in the Justice Department and the Federal Bureau of Investigations who could overreach. And he says there's not a lot of trust right now amongst the Justice Department, particularly with the political appointees. He raised concerns about taking guns away from law-abiding citizens, including that boyfriend loophole where domestic abusers who are in serious relationships they could have their guns taken away for five years or, or be barred from buying a gun for five years. He's not sure about red flag laws. He, he's very concerned about due process with red flag laws in particular. But again, it's it's a very big deal that the, the, the Congress did this. It, I think it speaks to the horrificness of the Uvalde shooting and that it drove them. I mean, look, look there was nothing after Sandy Hook. And the fact that they acted is, uh, is incredible, really. Like, because Congress right now is highly divided and they managed to work through it. And part of that is Mitch McConnell giving the negotiations and everything his blessing. And, and part of that was Democrats willing to take not everything they want, willing to settle for what they could pass. A rare, a rare occurrence of, of actual compromise and bipartisanship in, the, in, the, in Congress. 
That's right. All right, Humberto. Well, we covered a ton today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I'm sure we, we will be talking more in the future as more things happen in DC. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Carmen Landinger, Bert Johnson, Michelle Billman, Tabitha Mueller, and Humberto Sanchez for being on the show this week. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Jackie Valley, Michelle Rendells, and Riley Snyder. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, and email us with questions, comments, concerns, favorite lemonade stands, or whatever else is on your mind. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week.